we're going to jump into the Word today. I'm going to preach for about 16 hours. <laughs> he mentioned Catholic Church. I mean, you know, what do we... But no, I'm just kidding. We're just for a little bit. If you're visiting with us, this will be one of my shorter messages. I'll only preach for just a couple of minutes. But I just was uh, enamored since this is um, Valentine's Day weekend. And I am so humbled by God's goodness towards us. Um, I, I really have been kind of stuck in this prayer time. God, I want to love the way you love. I want to understand who you are so I can be more like you. And so with that, we've got a key verse today. Uh, I've titled the message today, Perfect Love. And I want you to turn to that person next to you and just say, Perfect Love. Go ahead, act like you're the perfect lover. Just tell them, say, Perfect Love. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, uh, it says it like this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In reference to this verse, there was a young lady named Jane, and her best friend Sandy was getting married this week, that weekend. And, and so Sandy was a little nervous, obviously, and, and they were Christians. And Jane wanted to do something nice for, to kind of, for Sandy to kind of calm her nerves. And she was reading through the scriptures, and she came past this one. 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And so she was going to text it to her, and she was on her way, you know, to somewhere. And so she started texting and realized, I can't can't text and drive, and this verse is way too long. I'll just, I'll just text her the reference. She, Sandy's a good Christian, and Sandy can go look it up, and it'll bless her as well. And so she started texting it while she was driving, which, of course, you know, should be illegal and is in many states. And so she was, she barely got through it, and she didn't get the, you know, she, like, you know, like, you know, uh, like Donald Trump, she didn't get the one John part down. She just got John. And so she texted John 418. And so when Sandy looked it up, this is what John 418 says. It says, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. (laughs) Texting mistakes right there, baby. That autocorrect will mess your life up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That sucker will mess your life up. Today, I want to kind of dive into this verse. This verse is very powerful. It's kind of the essence of all of Christianity because this verse is referencing God's love. It's talking about perfect love that cast out all fear. And we're going to kind of unpackage that a little bit today. But this love is, um, is different than what you and I probably grew up with, what was instilled inside of us, what was already in our DNA. This love word here is agape love in the Greek. It says uh, that uh, there is no fear in agape love, but perfect Agape love dries out all fear. Agape love, um, uh, there are, in, in, in the Greek language, there are multiple verbiages, or excuse me, multiple words for love. We have multiple meanings for love. Uh, sometimes we're talking about love, we're meaning sex. Sometimes we're talking about love with a friend, which we're not meaning sex. Sometimes we're talking about a love with a parent and a love with the father and things like this. So this word is a very descriptive word. This word agape love, it's not a sexual or an arousal meaning. It's not a brotherly love. It's not, uh, has to do nearly, it doesn't nearly as much with affection or emotion, um, but it means to esteem as precious, to consider as the most valuable, to love, to esteem as precious, to count as something so worthy of your attention, of your effort, of your energy. It involves faithfulness and commitment and the act of will. 
opposed to, well, when you and I talk about we fell into love. We didn't choose it. We fell into it. Many times we use that verbiage or that concept of love. That's not the love of God at all. In fact, the love of God, the agape love that comes from God the Father is an act of his will. It's a choice that he makes. It, it, it speaks of his morality, of his character. When the word of God says in a couple of verses before this one, it says that God is love. In other words, and when you look up in the dictionary, the word love, it should say God next to it because God is the essence of love. He created it. So you think about before there ever was an existence of humanity, there was God. And God was love. He is agape love. Unfortunately, as generations have grown, we have, we have redefined what love is. And so 1 Corinthians 13 goes back and explains to us love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. Agape love is. And so we see these work of these multiple concepts of love. And we see this conflict in an experience that Jesus and Peter had. We referenced Peter last week. Uh, Jesus and this story that we'll pick up in, uh, I think it's in the book of John, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me refer to it real quick. Yeah, John chapter 21, if you'll make your way that way, and I'll kind of lay the foundation. In the book of John, uh, Jesus uh, in chapter 21 has already died on the cross. They've taken his body, put it in a tomb. He's resurrected. But in the process of all this, as we studied last week or mentioned last week, Peter has denied Jesus. Peter is embarrassed about his inability to follow through in his love with, the, with Jesus. He made a commitment that he did not follow through with. And so Peter, in a discouraging state, goes back to his old way of living. The Bible says it that he grabbed a couple of the disciples and he said, I will go back to what I used to do. He went back fishing. Now, Jesus, three years earlier, had come to Peter, and Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus said to him, listen, I call you to come be a part of me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that Peter pulled up his boat up on the side of the, uh, side of the land. He threw his nets in the boat, and he left and went after Jesus and followed him for the next three years. And so we see this whole processing happening, and when Jesus dies, Peter has rejected him, or Peter has denied him three times. Let's say it like that. And then he comes back to life. He appears a little bit here and there. And Peter is so discouraged with his own inability to love Jesus properly that he goes back to his old way of living, which I find happens with many a Christian. When the moment they sense their, 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 the disappointment of their inability, they feel like to love God properly because they, they slip up and go back to the drugs or they go back to the perversion. Then they just usually what they'll do, they'll do many times is just quit. I'm just, there's, I can't do it. There's no reason to serve God. I can't love him the way I'm supposed to. It's too hard they're talking about religion they're not talking about a love relationship and see in a love relationship what happens is you and I come together and we stand for one another and when one is weak the other one cares for the other one and that's the same way it is with the Lord and so what we see in in Peter's moment is he's back fishing and Jesus unbeknownst to Peter stands on the shore and says hey have y'all caught anything Well, they can't really see. I would imagine the sun is starting to come up but hasn't quite made it up yet. And so they yell back, no, we've been fishing all night. And the voice comes back and says, cast your net on the other side. Oh, whatever. They do it. And when they do it, the Bible says that the fish begin to fill the nets in such a way that literally they can't contain it all. They had already had this experience initially with Jesus. Peter has a recognition. This is Jesus. I know this situation. And he leaves everybody, his boat, his buddies, and he jumps in the water in his underwear, and he starts swimming to shore. And he gets to shore, and there's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and he begins to interact with him. They come to shore with the fish, 
They count them all. They sit down, have a little bit of breakfast, minus bacon. And so as they sit there and interact with the Lord, you see this moment where Jesus turns to Peter. I, I picture it that he takes him and says, hey, let's you and I take a little walk down the shore. And they start walking down the shore. And Jesus opens with this. And we'll kind of hit it right here, right there in verse 15. When he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Come on, has your mama ever used your middle name in, this, in, a, in a statement? That means you're in trouble. Right? And she puts your whole name in it. Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me more than these? Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, do you, I'm not talking about do you have an emotional feeling towards me. I'm talking, do you choose me, commit to me more than everything else? This is many times the problem with us in our relationship with the Lord. We love him, but we also love this other stuff. it's as valuable to us as a relationship. So people go to church thinking that that'll help me feel a little bit better. They'll kind of, they'll try to say a little prayer and things like that. But the problem is they've never really come to agape love with the Father. They've never really said, my life is not my own. It's yours. I love you. And I don't care about anything else. And so Jesus talks to one of his former disciples, his, his main guy. And he says, do you agape me? And Peter responds with a different Greek word. He says, yes, I phileo you. Phileo, that love me, and phileo means literally to like you. I have an emotional uh, connection with you. I enjoy our time. And so this is a very famous passage. Maybe you've heard other people preach on it, minister it. Maybe you've read it. And Jesus responds. He goes, really? He said, Peter, let me ask you again. Do you agape me? And Peter responds, I phileo you. He goes, you phileo me. So Jesus asked him a third. So what you're saying is, you phileo me. You do not agape me. You like me, you enjoy being with me, you like what, I, what you get from me, but you're not completely giving yourself to me. And in that moment, Peter has, he can't do it anymore. And he goes, you know that I agape you. His frustration, I believe, is the result of his failure and his own weight that he's carrying that I'm not good enough, that I didn't do I said I loved him. I said that I agapated him back in the day, and I blew it. And so I guess all I can do is have a little friendship with him. I can't really be close to him because I've wounded a relationship. You and I both understand the trust and the wounding that can happen in a relationship. Some of you have been cheated on by a spouse. Some of you were, were mishandled by a parent and things like that, or a boss, and that trust that causes love. To, some of you have been the person who've mishandled. Some of you have been the person that hurt other people. And so that, that guilt of it all is what Peter, I believe, is dealing with. He goes, I like you, I really do, but I realize I can never really agape you. And Jesus says, listen to me. Agape me more than everything else. And finally, Peter goes, yes, I agape you. And Jesus says, then do what I told you to do. See, agape love has action connected to it. See, religion says that I am a Christian or I am saved because of what I do. That's not at all the right perspective. I I love my wife. I love her so much. And because I love her, I do things for her. My love is proven through my actions. My actions don't create love. 
Because otherwise, I'm saved by works, which I am not. The Bible says you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. You're saved by the fact that you are in love with the living God. He res- he's responding to you, responding to him. And that whole interaction is agape love. And then, as a result of it, I, I-, I got to go. I, I got to go do something for others because his love is abounding in my heart. Perfect love cast out all. For- agape love fixes it all. The sincerity of who the creator is bubbles up out of him. And as you and I interact with him, it becomes a part of us. And we become agape lovers as well. See, here's the problem with our society is everyone's looking for love in all the wrong place. Sorry, that's an 80s reference. And so what happens is we're all looking for some kind of love. We're looking. And so what's happened to our younger generation is they're trying to find it in sexual pleasure. So when this one doesn't satisfy, then i got to go another one, another one, another. And the reason why is because these are arousal-type loves and never from the place of agape love. When my wife and I were first going out, back up, I had dated a lot in high school. and had lots of little girlfriends. And before I got saved, I was a player, and uh, not because... But it's just because I was. It's because I was wicked. And, um, and, so, and so when I got saved, literally we had to break a generational curse off of me. Every man in my family had cheated on their spouses. I, I, I mean, I'm an eighth grader with four or five girlfriends going out of time lying to all of them. And not knowing, and can't stop it. I just can't say no. I like you, and I like you, and I like, I like all of y'all. And that was my problem. And so literally, we started laying hands on me every morning. My mom and I would touch and agree and say, we break that generational curse. He will be a man who's faithful to his spouse. Come on now. And so by the time I got out of high school, I had messed up so many relationships. I said, I'm going to serve God. And I don't, I, don't, I don't care how long it takes. God's got the right one. And so, man, I just was before the Lord. And, uh, and, and I had noticed Jamie in church. She was the only girl that didn't care what anybody else thought. She was up there worshiping Jesus. She just wanted God. And that was attractive to me because she was the first one who wasn't chasing me. Come on, ladies. The Bible says, he who finds a wife, not he, she who tracks down a man, hog ties him and drags him to the altar. You're supposed to be found. Come on now. <laughs> and, so, and so Jamie and I, we started going out. And it started because my, my, my youth pastor came to me. And he was trying to move on. And I was his assistant, Pastor Rick. And you got to know this guy. He came to me. He goes, hey, listen, I want to ask you a question. Are you gay? I'm like, are you, what? <laughs> he goes, good, I got your attention. Listen, you need to find somebody because I need to turn this position over. And the pastor's only going to hire somebody with a wife. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, you have anybody in mind? I'm like, I'm never going to tell you. Because if you tell him, he will mess it up. Within the week, he invited me over to his house. He needed to meet with me about something on a Thursday night at 7 p.m. I showed up. There were candlelights on his table. His wife had cooked the dish. There was a girl sitting across. They set me down, and they walked out and left me there with a girl. That's how my pastor was. I mean, so, so I knew I better kick it into gear before he messed something up. So I started going out with Jamie and talking because I felt like she was the one. And we were into this relationship a couple months, and we were really, I mean, God was in it. And I'm telling you, she was Fine. And I loved her and I talked late into the night. Come on, y'all know those conversations. What you doing? Nothing. What you doing? None. What you doing now? Thinking about you. Oh, you know, just talk about nothing. You know, now that we're married 23 years, you're like, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know, but I got to go by. You know, it's like, Zendo, can you pick up some cheese? You know? And so Jamie and I were, you know, we were, so we were going out, and I was, I was in love with this one. I really loved her, and I was enjoying every bit of it. But I recognized we'd go to leave, and I'd be like, well, okay, God bless you. 
And there was that awkwardness. Are you going to say you love me? Are you going to kiss me? What are you going to do, you know? And, uh, and I recognized it was awkward. And since, you know, I'm, I'm a leader, man. If it's awkward, I'm just going to talk about it. So I said, listen, I want to talk to you about something. So I sat her down. I said, listen, I want you to understand something. I have been growing in my understanding of what love is. And I don't tell you I love you. Because for me, agape, love means that when I tell you I love you, I'm going to be making a commitment that I'm going to take care of you all your days. I'm going to be making a commitment that, um, that, that you will never want for anything. I will provide it. I'm going to make a commitment to you. I will never look at another woman. I'll never think about another woman. When I tell you I love you, what I'm going to be meaning is if, we get, if you get in a car accident and you're paralyzed from the neck down, I will take your little body every day and I will sponge bath you. I will pick you up out of that wheelchair. I will love you. I will feed you till the day you die or I die beside you. I will care for you. I will not throw you out because you can't provide for me. I will be there. When I tell you I love you, that's what it's going to mean. And she goes, okay. So a couple months later, I, she knows what we were wearing, where we were standing, and what, what, where the stars were positioned, and what was on TV and the movie theaters at that moment. I don't remember all that. I just remember where we were at. And I looked at her, and I said, Jamie, I love you. And she's, oh. I'm like, when God the Father says to you, he loves you, He's not talking about he, if you are good enough. He's not saying to you that if you, he has this little emotional connection with you. He's not saying that you arouse him. He's not saying that he wants to, if you, if you do everything he wants you to do, that he'll be committed to you. When he says he loves us, he's using the word agape. And that word means I will care for you when you can't care for yourself. I will protect you from yourself. I will hold up the part of the bargain that you can't hold up. And so when the Bible Bible says that perfect agape cast out all fear. What it's trying to teach us is that love that comes from God, it will destroy the insecurity and the difficulty. In fact, if you put that scripture in a proper position for you theologians, it's actually talking about the end of the world. It's talking about the judgment that's to come. And so what was happening was other Jewish religious leaders were going around from the church to church and saying, listen, if you love God, then you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, or you will not go to heaven when you die. That's what they were doing. And so John is dealing with that by saying, no, 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 no. Agape love, perfect agape love, cast out all fear that you're not going to be good enough to be received in heaven. If you love God and he loves you because he does, then when you get there on that day, you'll be welcome with arms stretched out wide. And he'll say, welcome the love of my life. But here's what you don't understand, some people. Some people want to have phileo love with a God who wants to have agape love. Phileo love says, I like you, I'll interact with you. Agape love says, you're my God. You are the preciousness of my life. There is nothing else. That's why the Bible says, for those of us who say we love the Lord yet disobey his teachings, we are a liar. That the love of God is not in us. That's what it's talking about. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. It means that our love for God causes me like it does with Jamie. I'm going to go clean that. I'm going to go vacuum. I'm going to scrub that toilet. Not because it's going to make her love me. Because I love her so much. I want to make sure she's cared for. I want to make sure that she's exhausted. I want to make sure she's looking good. And so when you and I love God. When we have agape in response to his agape. What that looks like is you and I can't wait to make God great in the earth. Because we recognize that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us, that God so agape the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when my child was born, after years of trying to get pregnant, we couldn't have kids. And I, I would find myself, in the middle of the night, Jamie would finally pass out, and I would just find myself just staring at him in the crib. He's just like, man, he's so fine. Man, he looks like her, thank God. And then when he got a little older and I would hold him, and, and you remember when you first hold him and they would squeeze you back around your neck? Or, or then when he got old enough that we could walk in, he'd hold my finger real tight. And, and then when he would cry, I mean, everything would just stop. The earth would stop and I'd do whatever it takes. And I'll never forget, and then we had girls, and I'll never forget when the girls came home, when the girls came home, huh? what happened, baby? This little boy pushed me down. Said, What's his name? What's his name? What little boy pushed you down, baby? What's his name? I want to know his name. Where, what, what's he look like? Okay, all right. Hey, I, I'm driving carpool tomorrow morning. Drive up the next morning, carpool. Which one is he? Point him out. Point out that first grader. Which one is he? Which one, baby? Is it that one right there? No, daddy, that's not him. That one right there? No, daddy, it's okay. No, no, no. Which one is he? Point him out. It's that one right there, daddy. The one with the daddy who's 6'8 and 295 pounds. Lord, we just bless the Lord. We just want to show the love of Christ. We just forgive, baby. You got to forgive. You got to love like God loves. But that emotion that came up out of you because you love that child, that's that agape kind of love. So God the Father don't sit down and when you make a mistake, go, yeah, uh, he's, oh, Lord. Uh, he doesn't do that. He's looking at you going, come on, baby boy. Come on, baby boy. Come on, baby boy. I got you. I got you back on this. Agape love cast out all fear. How about this little statement right here? Write this down if you have a pen or a paper. You can jot it in. This is just a powerful statement. Fear is the enemy of faith, and faith is the bedrock of love. See, fear is the enemy of faith. But faith, see, see, faith is the bedrock of all love. So, so for example, you say, what are you talking about? So, so you love your spouse. Well, that's because you trust them. You have faith that they're faithful to you. And the moment they break that faith, that love begins to get shaken. That trust is shaken, therefore the love is shaken. It, it, it's broken down. And the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so love, this agape love, the fear is the enemy of that faith. And so what happens is the enemy's constantly trying to put fear on you and I that we're not good enough, that God's not for us, that I've blown it. And so what happens is when you and I walk in fear of rejection, when you and I are scared that our boss is getting the better of us, when you and I are fearful that someone's going to make us look bad, that, my friend, is not agape love. It is the very thing fighting against the agape love that's trying to be stirring, excuse me, it's trying to stir in your life. When you and I come to the place, we say, you know what? God is good. I'm good. He loves me and I love him. What else matters? What can man do to us? What can man do to us? You're going to threaten us with heaven? I'll kill you. God bless you. Come on. Because perfect agape Cast out all fear. What do you fear? Why are you so scared of being poor? Your God loves you. His word says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Well, I don't know. I've just been through some things. Yeah, the problem is you are eat up with fear. And God wants to fill you with his love. 
When you and I walk in agape love, you can take advantage of us. That's why if you keep reading, it says, and they'll know that we are Christians because we got agape. When everyone else is loving so that they can use them to either sexual fulfillment or get ahead in life or whatever, we will love unconditionally even if they do us dirty, even if they do us wrong because we have a confidence that's coming from a love that's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. My precious children, can you imagine if I sent them to be my advocate to a group of people, to a tribe in Africa, to give them the best I could give them through my child? That tribe in Africa takes them, my precious child, murders them, hangs them up on a tree, dishonoring them. Can you imagine the wrath that I would have? Yet God the Father so loved us that he sent his son to do that very thing. He agaped us. He treated us as precious, special, and it warranted all of his effort. He made an active choice of his will. God didn't go, oh, they killed my son. I didn't know they were going to do that. He made an active choice of his will to sacrifice that son. You and I would not do that in our right mind. This is the workings of agape love, that you're so precious to me that I'm willing to sacrifice what is so precious in heaven. I want to give you three things real quick, because I believe you and I, I believe that love is not inherent. I believe it can be built and it can be lost. I believe, as the scripture says, that the love of most grows cold. I believe your love can grow cold or your love can grow passionate. And I believe you have to cultivate love, especially agape love, because it's not, it's not natural to us, because it's God's love. It's not natural to us that we can cultivate it, that we can grow in it, that we can mature in it, that we can at some point have perfect love that casts out all fear. So let me give you a couple thoughts on how to cultivate agape love. Number one, study conformity. So what does that mean? Study conformity. Who is Jesus? What's he like? Many of you in this room, you're educated, you're smart, you're good at what you do. You, you just weren't born that way. You studied it. You studied it. You studied it, as, and, and as you studied it, you began to conform to it. Study Jesus. Study the conformity to be like him. Ask yourself every day, would Jesus do this? I used to love when we used to do WWJD on our little bracelets and all that. It was a great question to wake up every day asking myself, would, how would Jesus handle this guy who can't drive on, on 67? I don't think he would have handled him the way I just did, praise the Lord. I still got to grow in agape. How, how, would he, how would he do that? The second thing, because we're going to move quick. The second thing is you need to immerse yourself in his culture. If you're going to have agape love growing and abiding inside of you, you've got to immerse yourself in his culture. I, I told the first service, um, I, I love you, God bless you. Uh, but if this offends you, I'm so sorry. Uh, but I can't stand curry. I, I, oh. The smell of curry. I, oh, I wasn't talking about the basketball player. I'm talking about the spice. Uh, oh, I just can't. Oh, my God. Oh, even thinking about it right now makes me nauseous. And so the Lord called me to go on a mission trip for a couple weeks to Sri Lanka. I didn't realize Sri Lanka was Indian. I just didn't know. And so I went to Sri Lanka, and, and, and everyone there, I mean, it's coming out of their pores. I mean, it's, it's in their shirt. It's in the sweat pockets of their armpits. It's just like, 
everything, everything they're cooking with has curry in it. And the first couple of days, I was just like, oh, no, I, I ran through my entire snack pile within the first two days. I mean, I just, that's a mission trip attendee. And so then I was stuck eating, eating their food, and I, ha- I couldn't be rude, so I'm eating it, you know. And, and I, I'm, listen, I'm, two weeks I'm in it, you know, I'm preaching to them. I'm laying hands on them. I'm praying with them. They're sweating on me. I'm sweating on them. Ah, and, I mean, it's just happening. And by the end of the two weeks, I didn't even realize it. I was answering everybody. I didn't think it was really good. I mean, I just, before I knew it, I was doing that, and, and I didn't even, I'm sweating curry, and, and, it, and it's in all my stuff, you know. And, you know, I, I, we get on the airplane to come home, and everybody's looking at me like, my God, you smell like curry. And I'm like, I know, right? And, but what happened was I immersed myself in it till I smelt like them, looked like them, acted like them, and talked like them. You don't go to church to get saved. You go to church to immerse yourself in his culture. Listen, some of you are around some vile people at your work. You come and you, and you come to services and you go to small groups. So you, can, you can get yourself in the culture of Jesus. I don't read the Bible because he's going to be mad at me if I don't get through it. I got to get through it. I got to get through it. I read the Bible because I want to know his culture. I want to immerse myself in what he is so I can start looking like him, acting like him, talking like him. I, I promise you, if you don't know Spanish, just go live in Mexico for about six months. Either, either that or you'll starve. You'll learn the language, you'll be a part of it, or you'll die. I mean, you immerse yourself in the culture, and you start becoming a part of the culture. That's the problem. Most people want to go and get a little bit of Jesus, and they go back to their old culture. What we have to do is go, walk away from our old culture, our old way of living, and come immerse ourselves in his culture. The third thing, are you with me still? Say yes. The third thing that I found, how to cultivate agape love, is that we have to seek the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, depending on if you're reading King James or NIV. If you're reading King James, it says Holy Ghost. That freaks you out. NIV, Holy Spirit. And so there you go. And so what, what I have found is I was a good denominational kid. I, I was wicked. We got radically saved. We went to a good denominational church. And I, I, they, didn't, they didn't teach me anything about the empowerment. Here at Church on the Hill, as we see the scripture, as our leaders, and, and as we dove into and, and formulated our doctrines, we see, we see two workings of the Holy Spirit. Number one, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and he immediately starts regenerating you. When I got saved, I felt bad for the first time cussing people out. Before that, I'd cuss you at one side, down the other. I'd steal from you. You shouldn't have left it there, dummy. I mean, I was just my man. Once I got saved, I was convicted. I was like, oh, I shouldn't do that. It was the Spirit of the Lord convicting me because he was regenerating me. But there's a second work of the Holy Spirit we see very clear in Scripture, and that is empowerment. Not that I'm just convicted now, but I have power to overcome. I have power to do what the Scripture says I can do, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils. There's an empowerment. Some of you have been taught against that or you've had bad experiences. And I want you to know the power of the Holy Spirit was God sent. He prophesied in Ezekiel, and I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters. That was his word, not mine. And so what happened was in my life, I, I, I was at the altar every Sunday. I'm not exaggerating. Repenting for the same sin throughout the week, week in and week out, no power to stop it. Until I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden I had power to say, no, I'm not doing that. In fact, let me lay hands on you for even asking me for that. It was amazing the courage that happened to me. We see Peter and the disciples have the same experience. They've been with Jesus three years. You would think if I was hanging out with Jesus for three years, I'd be pretty, pretty solid. 
Well, at the end of it all, not only are they running around, uh, you know, running, running away from the situation, they, they, they're denying, they're doing all these things, and then they're waiting for the day of Pentecost, they're waiting in the upper room at the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and they all begin to speak with other tongues, they had this empowerment thing, it was so powerful, so wonderful, and then we see Peter start preaching and going crazy, and look at this passage in Acts chapter 4, uh, it won't be on the screen, Acts chapter 4 verse 13, it says, when the Jewish religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and the disciples, they said, what? How are they like this? They must have been with Jesus. Why did, why did Peter and them have courage then, but they didn't have courage the day before? It was because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They had power for the first time, which gave them courage. Perfect love. Gape, perfect love, cast out all fear. Listen, it's time for you to start standing in faith. It's time for you to start healing the sick, raising the dead. It's time for you to be the man or woman God he's called you to be. And I want you to know that the way you get that gape love that is just generating, the Holy Spirit brought that forward to these guys. The Holy Spirit caused them to say, I don't care if I die. I love him so much. Try to kill me. You can't even kill me. They put him in prison, and ultimately they did kill him. But anyway, it was a great storyline anyway. But the whole point is this, is that they had courage that they never had before. Why? Because the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Where did, what was that result of that? They had this love that said, I'll give my life. You can't take it from me. I'll, I freely give it, just like my Savior did. Where did that kind of love come from? It came from being developed. They spent time with Jesus. They conformed to his nature. They started immersing into his culture. And then the Holy Spirit that abide in Jesus came and abound in them and empowered them to be like him. It was, it's an unbelievable piece. I want you to bow your heads with me across the room. Agape love. A love that seems to be lacking in our world today. As you got your head bowed and your eye closed, we all can think about that sweet grandma or that grandfather, that person in that church that we grew up with. That one that exuded, exude the love of God. The, the one that epitomizes what we're saying here today. Agape. No strings attached. No selfish ambition. A preciousness. We all think, well, when I get older, I'll be like that. No, 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 no. We're going to have the love of God abounding, abounding in us. To the place that it causes the whole world to say that's what Christians are and they'll know that you are Christians by your agape not by how many people come to your services not by how many crosses are on your steeple they'll know that you are Christians not because you read the Bible or bought the t-shirt they'll know who we are because the agape is permeating out of us the love that is unconditional love the love that is precious, that says that our God is worth dying for and worth living for. The love that God the Father puts in our hearts as we come close to Him. That's what the world will recognize. As you sit here with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you right now to say, Lord, I want to have perfect love. It's Valentine's Day. We're thinking about hearts and candy and things like that and relationships. But the greatest relationship in the entire universe is that which we have with the creator and to understand agape love to embrace that as the goal of living to say I want to I want to love like Jesus loved I want to be in love the way Jesus was in love with the father 
I want to exude love the way the Messiah, Jesus Christ, exuded it. Friend, this is the goal of life. As you sit here with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to think about how you and I can start. I, 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 I know I lack it. I know I, I, I don't have perfect love. I might have half love. I might have some agape, but I've got to increase. I've got to, I've got to get closer. I've got to become more immersed in his culture. I've got to come refreshed with the Holy Spirit empowerment. As you sit here with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to just begin to speak to your Lord and Savior. And say, Lord, I, I need the love that we're talking about today. As you're doing that, I want to give a call to those of you in this room that say, Pastor, let me be honest. I used to be in a loving relationship with Jesus. I walked away. This stuff happened and this stuff happened. I find myself like Peter. I went back fishing. I went back to my old stuff. I came here today. I've been coming for a couple weeks. But I need God in my life. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to abandon him anymore. I want to start a love relationship with him all over again. Maybe you say, Pastor, I... I've never known the Lord. I've never interacted. Yeah, this is crazy. I've never been in a church like this. Kind of like Dr. Riddick talked about when he first came and was hearing about a relationship with God, not a formality, but a relationship. He said, this is new to me, but I sense this is real. And I want, I want to have a relationship with the living God. If you find yourself in any of those two categories, either you're away from the Lord and you need to come home, or you've never really known the Lord and you want to accept him today as your Lord and Savior, would you let me pray with you? Would you be courageous enough to admit that? As you sit there with your head bowed and your eye closed, no one's looking around. If you come to the conclusion, this is you, I'm speaking to you. This is God tugging at your heart. He so loves you. He's pulling and tugging all of your attention, all of your energy. He's trying to get so that you can fall in love with him. If you recognize this is what's happening in you and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you want to come back to the Lord, with no one looking around, would you be courageous enough to say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. Pray for me. I want, I want to be right with the Lord today. With no one looking, would you, just, would you just show that by lifting your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I'm ready to get right with you. God bless you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you, bro. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. So precious. I, I see your hand. God bless, yeah, God bless you, too. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, bro. Thank you, man of God, for your honesty. None of us in here are perfect. None of us have stones to throw. We're all just needing Jesus. Anyone else? It's been about 10, 12 hands already. I just want to be sure I minister to you and pray with you. I see your hand in the back. God bless you, sir. You can put them back down. Anybody else? You didn't get a chance to lift your hand. This is your moment. About two, three more seconds. Amen. God bless you. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to give money to the church. You don't have to do crawl on your knees or anything like that. We don't have to go to confessional. The Bible says that you have a high priest. His name is Jesus. We can go straight to him and ask him into our life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you that lifted your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer, kind of a connection, kind of like if, you know, we were out somewhere at a restaurant or something, and I was with my best friend, Jesus, and you walked up and I introduced the two of you, and then released you to have your own relationship with them. That's what I'm about to do is connect the two of you through prayer, through a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to say this out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, you can do better. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I ask that you would fill my heart with this agape love. I'm asking you now to forgive me of all of my sin, of all of my wickedness,
I receive what you did on the cross. I allow the blood of Jesus to wash over my sins. And in front of all of these people, in front of heaven and all the angels, I declare, Jesus is my Lord. Say it again. Jesus is my Lord. Now, if you'll stay right where you're at, Father, I bless every man and woman who lifted their hand. Now, right now, supernaturally, let them sense like a hot blanket. Come over them right now, over their heart, over the hard places where they've been wounded, where they've been lied to, where they've been mishandled. Lord, let like that hot blanket, let just come over them and begin to melt away all the rough spots, all the places, oh God, that's caused them to hate and be angry and caused them, Lord God, to chase after the sexuality and uh, chase after this stuff and that not... uh, knothead stuff. Lord, just let them sense that you are forgiving them. Let them know that they know that you two are friends and that they are yours. And if they died today, you would stand there at the gate welcoming them. Come, my son. Come, my daughter. I'm so proud of you. May they sense that and know that in their knower. Now, Father, I pray for every man and woman and part of Church on the Hill today. Lord, I don't want to be a part of a church that has good music and has good preaching. I want to be a part of a church that has agape love. That when men and women walk in this door, they can't understand, why do they love me? Don't they know me? Don't they understand what I've done and what I'm doing? God, that they would know the love of God through these men and women. Lord God, that every person in this church, Lord God, would be growing in their agape love a little bit more each day overcoming that old bitterness, overcoming that little gossip and slander and all those dumb little things that literally are stealing away and causing the fear, the fear of being a failure, the fear of being rejected, the fear of what might happen in the end of it all, all of that being cast out because agape is reigning and ruling in our heart. So I bless your people, Lord. I bless them, oh God, that they would walk in the depths of love, that they would know the God of love and that they would be the people of love. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted amen. amen and amen and amen.